Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? So I teach high school history, so I need you to be honest with you. I'm not going to grade you. I just want to see how many of you actually saw the gorilla. Liars. <laughs> Sid? Let me ask it again. Oh, yeah, he saw it the first time. Let me ask it again. How many of you saw the gorilla? You know why I'm acting like this? Because the first time I watched the video, I didn't see the gorilla. <laughs> All right, so that was a study by Daniel Simons, and it was on selective attention. See, here's the deal. God wired our brains to notice what we train them to notice. That's selective attention. A few years back, my wife needed a new car. And she was at lunch with, with her boss. They were in the conference room with a group of people, and they were talking, and she mentioned that, that we were going to be needing a new car. And uh, he said, my wife got a Mazda, and she loves it. So prior to this, I had a neutral feeling about Mazdas. I'd never owned one, didn't have any particularly close friends or family members that had them. I thought they were fine, but didn't give them much thought. But then he said how much she liked her car, so we did a little research, and then we went and drove one and ended up buying the Mazda. Well, here's the crazy thing. Guess what was around me all the time? They were everywhere. I'd never even noticed them before. Every stoplight you stop at, there's a Mazda next to me. All right, on TV, they're advertising Mazdas on the Internet. There's a Mazda for sale. What's that about? Selective attention. All right, now I had a reason to notice the Mazda. So my brain was trained to notice all the Mazdas around me. This is not a Mazda commercial, by the way. So a few years back, I was teaching one of my songwriting classes. By the way, I can teach any of you to write a song. Every one of you can learn how to write a song, but only the talented ones of you can learn to write a good one. But I can teach you all to write a song. So I used to, to teach a songwriting class, and a couple weeks into the class, I'd say, okay, here's your assignment for this week. You need to keep a journal with you all week long, and you need to write down 100 song ideas this week. They looked at me like I was stinking crazy. What do you mean? We're, well, you've gotten confused. We're here for you to teach us how to learn how to write a song, all right? We don't know how to write songs. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't need to write the song. I just want you this week to come up with 100 ideas for songs. 
Well, they went out thinking that they had made a big mistake signing up for a class with me. But guess what happened the next week when they came back? Their eyes were big and they had big smiles and they said, guess what? That wasn't that hard. Because everything that we did all week was a song. Every conversation, everything that we saw on the Internet or on television, everything around us was a song idea. And we just wrote down the idea. So what happened is they had trained or they were in the process of training their brain to see song ideas. They put on glasses for that week that were trained on the idea of song ideas. And it wasn't that hard. It's the same thing with gratitude. Today, I hope that we will train our eyes. We'll put on those glasses of gratitude and we'll see the world around us. And we'll live in gratitude. So I'm going to do something that I don't think they teach in speaking school. Said, so tell me if I'm wrong on this. I don't think they teach this. I'm going to do a one point sermon today. I think sermons are supposed to be three points, right? All right, I'm doing a one point sermon. And here's the really weird thing. I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Ready? She's going to put it up on the screen there, Miss Susan. Gratitude produces joy. That's it. That's what I want you to leave with today. Gratitude produces joy. Now, Hux did a great job last week with the book of Philippians talking about the Apostle Paul. And we're going to continue that talking about Apostle Paul and how he saw joy. Now, one of the things I want to first clear up is what I'm talking about is biblical joy and it's deep and it's lasting what we try to think of sometimes as joy in our culture is very superficial. It's very surface level. So if it's very surface level, then your circumstances are going to change joy. What Paul wants to teach us today is that joy is deeper and richer than your circumstances. So the first thing I want to say to you today in regard to this is that I don't stand here with everything together. I don't stand here without pain in my life. There is pain in my life that I've carried that is not resolved. And it's not probably going to be resolved anytime soon. And I have to live with it. But I also stand here and I can tell you that I am so blessed. So blessed. And I'm so happy. And more importantly, I'm joyful. I'm deeply joyful, but it's not perfect and there's pain and there's difficulty, but that's kind of the deal. I'm going to, I'm going to change the order real quick here. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus does not say following me will save you from the trials, from the sorrows. He doesn't say it'll be easy. In fact, he says the opposite. But what he says is it's good. It's a good way of living. It's the best way of living. And the Apostle Paul knew, knew this. Biblical scholars call Philippians the epistle of joy. Now, Hug said it last week, and he was right. Paul wrote Philippians from jail. 
So he's writing this epistle of joy while he's imprisoned. Prisons were bad back then. There were no um, Amnesty International situations back then. All right, prisons were bad. People were treated really badly. More importantly for Paul, he was away from the people that he loved. He was away from the ministry that God had called him to. He was separated. But let me um, give you just a little quick uh, snapshot into how Paul saw um, his life from prison. It's from Philippians 1. I'm going to read um, verses 3 through 5 and then 7 through 8. Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. Let me pause real quick. I got to see this lived out this morning as all the college students were coming home and I saw all the hugging and the smiling and the reconnecting. It was joy and it was joy that was based out of deep relationships. That's kind of the picture of what Paul's saying here. He says, you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Man, when I read that, I just feel like it's dripping. And you can go through all of the epistles. They call this the epistle of joy. But when Paul starts talking about his peeps, he gushes. He gushes in thanks. He gushes in gratitude for these people that God has brought into his life. Hold that thought. These people that God has brought into his life. Now, remember, Paul's life was not perfect. He was writing this from prison. Also, you may have heard this before, but I want to give you a snapshot into his entire life. All right. This particular epistle was written from prison. But let me tell you about his whole life. He kind of sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. Follow along with me. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. You know what lashes are, right? It's not good. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone often without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? So Paul faced it. Man, Paul went through it. Big time. Big time. Now, one of the things that we have a problem with as moderns, that's all of us, that's the culture, that's the water that we swim in, is that we don't think life is supposed to be difficult. All right? The modern world tries to make it less difficult. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But that's not world history. In all of history, life was difficult. It was normal to watch your sibling die. 
It was normal for parents to bury kids. It was normal for diseases to come through villages and wipe everybody out. Death and disease and wars and pestilence and drought, you name it, all of those things were just a normal part of life. But we as moderns, we get all bent out of shape when things get bad. I do. But life is hard. Jesus said that. But Paul says, in spite of that, give thanks. Give thanks. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. God's will. So when I was growing up as a teenager in youth group, there was a lot of sermons, a lot of talks about God's will. And it was right, but what they were saying is, most of the time, what does God have for you? What does the future look like? What are you called to? How are you going to make a difference in the world? Absolutely, 100% agree with all that. And there are times in Scripture where God calls people to certain things. Absolutely. But more often than not in Scripture, when it talks about God's will for you, it's your character. God's will for you is to look more like Jesus. When God created us, he created us to be image bearers, to be reflectors of his goodness. When people see us, they should see God. Amen, but wow, what a challenge, right? When people see us, we should reflect God's image. That's God's will for us, to be conformed into his image, to look like him, to talk like him, to interact with people like him, to care about the things that he cares about, to let our priorities be his priorities. That's God's will. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says it, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I think it's pretty clear. God's will for you and God's will for me is to be thankful. Thankful on the good days, is that what it says? Nope. Thankful in all circumstances. That was Paul's secret. That's how he could write the epistle of joy from prison. That's how he could recount that long, ugly list from 2 Corinthians that I just read to you and come out of it with joy because that was his understanding. He had that secret and that secret is gratitude produces joy. I've been blessed in my life to have a lot of spiritual mentors. Some of them have been friends that have been in my life and some of them have been pastors who write books and give talks and sermons that I'm able to listen to. Back in the old day, it was cassettes. Y'all remember that? You put the cassette in the, y'all don't know. All right, these cassettes, they, they pop in the car. All right, but now it's on the internet. Now it's on podcasts, all right? But one of mine is a guy named N.T. Wright. And my wife was laughing because if I'm gonna get up and talk to a group of people about following Jesus, there's about a 50% chance I'm going to quote N.T. Wright, C.S. Lewis, or Dallas Willard. I'm quoting two of the three today, all right? But they've been huge impacts on me. But N.T. Wright, and I'm going to put up a, there it is, 
Uh, he wrote a biography of Paul. Now, a lot of people say he's the leading authority in the world. He knows more about Paul than anybody walking the face of the earth. All right, he's about late 70s now, and he's been doing, they call it Pauline scholarship for all of his adult life. Well, he's written a ton of theological treatises on Paul. Well, he decided a few years back to write a biography, and it's incredible. And he goes through the whole cultural context. N.T. Wright is real big on the fact that you won't understand Paul, you won't understand Jesus, you won't understand Christianity unless you understand the cultural context that it came out of. So studying that cultural context is real important. But anyway, uh, I learned a ton from this book. Um, I've, uh, in fact, here's a funny story. I realized this week that I had loaned it out to somebody and they lost it. So I've loaned the book a lot, but it's an important book to me. But what you find when you see Paul and you dig deeper is that Paul didn't really think he was starting a new religion. When he started these churches and he was preaching the good news of Jesus, he just thought as a good observant Jew that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the scripture and prophecy that he had been studying his whole life. Remember, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew scripture. He knew the Hebrew scriptures like nobody's business. He had been studying them. And he saw Jesus when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He said, here it is. This is the fulfillment of all the rest of this. So I'm going to be what he, what he would have said if he were standing here. I'm going to be a good Jew because here's Jesus. And he was that Messiah that had been prophesied. And I'm going to follow his ways. And that's what he was doing. But I think sometimes in our attempt to focus on and prioritize, which is good and right, that we have a relationship with God through Jesus, that sometimes we turn religion into a dirty word. All right. We turn religion into a dirty word. I, I've done it. I've said it. Oh, I'm not religious. I just follow Jesus. But religion is not bad. Dead religion is bad, but religion is a system of beliefs and practices that help till the soil of our souls so that we can connect in a relationship with God. And several years back, I started taking something a little more seriously, and it's this word called spiritual disciplines. Now, Paul would have understand this very clearly because he was an observant Jew, Spiritual disciplines, things like prayer, Bible study, fasting, solitude, not good at at all. Silence, my family will tell you, really not good at that one. All right. But they're, but they're spiritual disciplines. And what they are is just ways, things that you can practice that help you connect with God more. I like to say it tills the soil. It cultivates it, the soil of your soul so things can grow. Paul understood this, and he had practices of gratitude. That's why in every letter, go back and fact check me, they're just full of thank you to this person, and thank you for this, and by the way, thank you for this. They're just full of thanks and gratitude. Paul got it. He practiced gratitude. Now, there's a lady who I really like. She's very smart. I'm going to put up uh, all of her stuff up here. 
I put that up just to tell you she's very smart. Her name is Brene Brown. She's a research professor at the University of Houston. She's also a believer. But she studied joy. And she found out something real interesting. She said, it's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us joyful. Say that again. It's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us joyful. Who's that sound like? Sounds like the Apostle Paul to me. Sorry, y'all. All right, so I want to read, and it's extensive here. It's a little long, so just bear with me, but it's worth it. These are Brene Brown's words about her study. The relationship between joy and gratitude was one of the important things I found in my research. I wasn't expecting it. In my 12 years of research, 12 years on 11,000 pieces of data, I did not interview one person who had described themselves as joyful who also did not actively practice gratitude. Let me say that one again. I did not interview one person who had described themselves as joyful who also did not actively practice gratitude. For me, it was very counterintuitive because I went into the research thinking that the relationship between joy and gratitude was if you're joyful, you should be grateful. But it wasn't that way at all. Instead, practicing gratitude invites joy into our lives. Practice is the part that really changed my life, that really changed my family and the way we live every day. See, practices, they're everyday things. They're a part of the fabric of your life. When I say practice gratitude, I don't mean the attitude of gratitude or feeling grateful. I mean practicing gratitude. These folks shared in a common in common, a tangible gratitude practice. One of the things we do as a family is say grace at dinner. And so now after learning about practicing gratitude, after grace, we go around and everyone says something that they are thankful for. What's interesting is when we first started, I thought my children were going to say, oh, mom, are you experimenting on us? And there was a little bit of that. But after we had done this for a couple of weeks, even on those crazy busy nights when we were trying to get soccer, piano, and homework, if Steve and I said a prayer and started eating, my kids were like, whoa, what are you grateful for? It's been extraordinary because not only does it invite more joy into our house, it's also such a soulful window into what is going on in our kids' lives. It's powerful. So she didn't go into it thinking that this would be the case. But what she learned, just like the Apostle Paul, is that gratitude produces joy. And isn't God good? He said, it's his will for you that you be thankful in every circumstance. See how those things tie together? But here's the kicker. Now, this is the part where it gets hard. I'm not going to lie. It has to be spiritual practices. So what does that mean? Well, some of us, it just means, okay, that was, a, that was, I liked what he had to say, and you'll walk out of the door, and you might try to maybe think of a couple of things that you're grateful for. But it's like this.
How's that? Y'all like it? So here's the thing. Desiring to play the piano is not good enough. You can mean well. You can desire to play the piano well. But what do you got to do? Wait, what? Oh, practice. There's that word. You said it. We have to practice. What's the deal? Is it like, I didn't look this up, 10,000 hours to be an expert at something? Something like that? You got to put in the time. So that's what Paul is saying. Brene Brown stumbled upon it in her research. We have to put into our lives practices of gratitude. They don't just happen. We have to put in that time. Like I said earlier, I think sometimes because we don't want to be religious, we've turned that into a negative word. And because we do want to be grateful for God's grace, and let me say, I am grateful for God's grace. Sid knows I'm standing here today only because of God's grace. All right, that's it. God is good. God loves me in spite of me. But Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort, but opposed to earning. I'm going to just ask Ms. Susan to just leave that up there for just a second. Think on that. Grace is not opposed to effort, but opposed to earning. God loves me, and there's nothing that I can do to change that. But there's a lot of things that I can do to create an environment in my life where I can respond to that. There's a lot of things I can do that help me and allow me to better reflect his image in my life. And in this matter today of gratitude, we have to put practices into place if we want to see the kind of joy that Paul experienced in spite of his circumstances. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and I'm not going to be one of those guys who gets up and tells you what the Hebrew word means, right? You know how pastors will do that? I'm not that guy. Not going to do it today. But I want to share a Hebrew word with you. Now, this is how much not of a Hebrew guy I am. I had to get on one of those internet sites that tell you how to say something, because I didn't even know how to say it. So I think if I understood the site and the lady that spoke it to me a whole bunch of times, it's like this, hakarat hatav, hakarat hatav, and it means recognizing the good. Recognizing the good. That's what God wants for us. Every day, in all circumstances, recognizing the good. Sometimes I think we, especially in church situations, we want to over-spiritualize things. And we miss out on God's blessings in everyday life. It's like those guys learning to write songs. God's blessings are everywhere. We just have to put on those glasses to see them. And that's what Paul's asking us to do. Put on those glasses. James says in 117, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights 
in the heavens. All the good stuff is from God. It's a blessing. Amen. It's all good. All that good stuff. It's from God. We just have to put on those glasses not to miss it. So here's what I want to do today. I want to invite you along with me to try something. For one week, it's Thanksgiving week, I want you to consider my invitation of practicing gratitude this week. And again, I'm not talking about like bumper sticker attitude of gratitude stuff. I'm talking about practical, real life. What are you going to do every day in your life to live in gratitude? Now, you can do it any way you want. I read about a guy who every day at 1, 2, 3, 4, 12, 34, he would do four things. And he would write down four things that he was grateful for. The way I'm doing it is in the morning when I have my prayers, I just get quiet. I told you I'm not really good at that. I just get quiet and I just ask God to impress on me things that I should be grateful for. And man, it's working. It's great. I thought of people that I haven't even thought about or had contact with in a year or two. And I reached out to them. FYI, for me, and it may be different for you, three out of four, nine out of ten of the things that God brings to my heart to be grateful for are people, people that have invested in me, people that I've had the opportunity to do life with. So I reach out, and it opens up intimate, beautiful conversations. It's been a blessing to me. And guess what it's given me? Joy. Yes, it has. So I want to invite you this week to try it. See what happens. In your own way, practice gratitude this week. Now I want to give you a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and just kind of still yourself, still your soul, still your mind. And I'm going to read a scripture And then I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes of quiet in the room. And I want you to start now and just ask God to impress you with some things that you should be grateful for today. So I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to give you a minute. Philippians 4.8 from the Apostle Paul. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. There's nothing like
Stand with me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the broad expanse of God's love and the abundance of his riches and glory shape your perspective on your life and needs, including those things which disappoint you. May the eyes of your heart be open to all the blessings which surround you. May this awareness produce the harvest of generosity in your spirit. May thankfulness rise up within you, not just during this short season, but day after day, from the early morning watch until you retire for the night. 
May your prayers reflect gratitude while also acknowledging the needs of others whose situations are so drastically different. May thoughts of Jesus fill your mind and hunger for God drive your soul and love for the Lord guide your speech and your actions. And finally, may the grace, peace, and love of the triune God protect, defend, and empower you to run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Amen. God bless you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. See you next week.